Good morning and happy Independence Day. My name is Thad Lanthrop. I'm the executive pastor here, and I am so glad that you joined us on this holiday where we celebrate the birth of the United States. I'm looking forward to the fireworks, to the time with family, um, and also to remembering the foundation of our country. The United States was founded by men who sought to worship God freely. That's what brought them from England to America. They were looking for a place to freely worship God. And when England continued to treat them unjustly, that is when the Declaration of Independence was was formed, signed, and sent. And one of the most famous quotes in the Declaration of Independence is this one, and it really shows how the Bible, the principles in the Bible were all over our founding documents. Take a look at what it says. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our country was founded by men who recognize that God, the creator, has created people equally, and he's given them certain rights. Liberty is one of those rights. In other words, freedom. Freedom has been at the heart of our country from the beginning. You see it all over the the Constitution where you see government is limited so that people can worship God freely, that they can establish life for them and their family without interference from the state. Biblical principles are used to make up the Constitution. And what God has allowed to happen in our country of the last two centuries, it's unmatched by any other country. It's remarkable. We are a remarkably stable country. Did you know that the average constitution lasts for 17 years? Ours has lasted 232 years. Some examples of this, South Africa, they've had five constitutions since 1931. Thailand has had 17 since 1932, and South Korea has had six since 1948. So why has our Constitution lasted so long? It's because it was built on biblical principles that are a blessing to people. The freedom that our citizens have to pursue life, liberty, and happiness has resulted in a tremendous amount of creativity in our country. The U.S. population is about 4% of the world, and yet we produce more medical cures, more scientific technology, more discoveries, more movies, more patents, and the list could go on. We produce more of that than the other 96% of the world's population. Now, has our country always lived up to the biblical principles and standards that are in our founding documents? No. It hasn't. Slavery is an example of that. Our country was founded on principles like freedom and all men being created equal. But at the same time, there were people enslaved. There were people bought and sold like property. And there's a lot of loud critics right now in the U.S. just saying that we should not be proud of our nation because it was founded and built on slavery. And when I hear claims like that, it, it, it catches my attention as a pastor. I, I want to do my best to keep up with current events, current thoughts, the current culture. 
and so that I know what the church is hearing, what they're facing, and and I want to know what is true and what is real. And so I've, I've looked into this topic. I've researched. I've read some books. I've talked with people who know more about the history and founding of our country. And I haven't found evidence that America was founded on slavery. When you read the Declaration of Independence, when you read the Constitution, you don't see that it was America was founded for slavery in, in any of those documents. What you do see is that the Bible had a tremendous amount of influence on the formation of our country. And it's God's standard in the Bible that all men are created equal, which led to the abolishment of slavery in 1865. Again, it's a scar on our country's history. It's, it's a, a shame that it happened, that it went on. But today we celebrate the birth of this remarkable and imperfect country. And we can rejoice that God has placed us in a country that allows us to live a life of freedom. As Americans, we, we were born into it. We, we just kind of take freedom for granted. But it's amazing the freedom that we have in our country. Now, as we celebrate this freedom that we have, it, it makes us want to ask the question, what does a life of real freedom look like? John Adams was one of the founding fathers. He famously said this about our Constitution. He said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. How does the idea of a Constitution being made for a moral and religious people reconcile with the idea of a God-given right to freedom? What does a free person look like? To answer this question, it's important to have an accurate definition on what freedom is. Merriam-Webster defines freedom like this. It says the quality or state of being free, such as, the, the first definition here, the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice or action. I can just do whatever I want. The next one is liberation from slavery or restraint or from the power of another. Currently, freedom in our country is looked at more like the first definition here. The freedom to do or say or go wherever I want with whomever I want. But is that really freedom? Do you feel like a free person when you just go and do whatever you want? Don't even factor in any of the consequences. You just go and do it. Well, the Bible shows us what real freedom is. And it shows us that Christ has set his followers free. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Last week, Pastor Randy looked at how do we become a Christian. We become a Christian by making Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. And these verses right here that, that it's talking about, these are written to people who have already done that. 
They've already made Jesus the boss of their life. Now, you might be here today and you you haven't come to that decision yet. You haven't decided that Jesus is going to be the boss of my life. I'm going to let him call the shots on my life. Well, this message is just as much for you as it is for Christ followers. Like this was just this was written to Christ followers. This message will give you a clear picture of what is the freedom that Christ gives us. What is the freedom that God is offering to everyone? We see Christ followers are instructed here in Galatians 5.1. It says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So what is this yoke of slavery that's being talked about in this verse? It's a couple different things. You can take this freedom that Christ has given us too far on both ends of the spectrum. You can take it too far in in the rules for following God's law, God's ways in the Bible. You can make your life so much about, I can do this, I can't do that, that you're not living a life of freedom. You're living in fear of, am I doing exactly what God wants me to do right here? Now, we need to live life God's way. But the freedom that Christ is talking about is not a coercive thing that happens to make us live life God's way. The freedom that God wants us to live is that we live out his ways and we're blessed and we have a life of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the good fruit that comes from using our freedom in a way to live life God's way. So we don't use our freedom to be a slave to the rules that God has given us in the Bible. The second way that we don't use our freedom is to go back to what enslaved us before we became Christ followers. Romans 6, 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what, what is it talking about here, being enslaved to sin? What, what does that mean? Well, our culture tells us that freedom is just being able to do and say whatever we want with whomever we want. Go wherever we want. That is true freedom. That's what our culture says. But the problem with that definition is it's not freedom at all. That kind of lifestyle, it leads to bondage. There's consequences to our actions. Have you ever been in a pattern of living that's causing damage to you or causing damage to relationships around you, but you can't seem to get out of it? Maybe it's sexual immorality. Maybe it's a pattern of being harsh with your kids or your spouse or your friends or your roommates. And you're just breaking the relationship more and more and you can't seem to stop. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's stealing. Maybe it's being disrespectful. Maybe it's being lazy. We can get caught in patterns of what the Bible calls sin, which is missing the mark that God has given us. We can get into patterns and these patterns, they trap us. They cause damage all around us, but Christ brings freedom from these patterns. He brings freedom from sin 
we can turn to him and ask for help. Look at Romans 6.14. It says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Christ gives us, gives his followers, dominion over sin. Not because anything we have done, but it is because of God's grace that we can have power over the sin that can destroy our lives. Before Christ becomes the, the boss of our life, it's all on us to do right. That's a lot of pressure. To get things exactly right so that life turns out the way that we want it to turn out. But Christ, he frees us from the bondage that comes from that thinking. The bondage that comes from sin. He forgives us and he helps us to live a better way that is found in the Bible. We are free. In Galatians 5.1, it's warning us not to go back to the old way of life. I'm a parent of four kids. Uh, they're 10, 8, 7, and uh, 3, almost 4, he'll tell you. And with our kids, we want to, as they grow up, give them more and more freedom. One of the ways that we've done that with all of our kids is in the parking lot. When we get out of the car, we talk to them and we say, okay, now, I'm not going to make you hold my hand anymore, but you have to stay close to us. So I'm giving you freedom, but you've got to stay close so that you're safe. You cannot run and, and go off. If you do, there's consequence for that. You're going to have to hold our hand again. And what is what happens when we give that freedom? Inevitably, they go off and they put themselves in danger and, and we have to bring them back and we have to, to show them that you've got to be use your freedom rightly here. Use your freedom to get to the right place safely, not to run out and put yourself in danger. God gives us freedom. That, that kind of gives you a picture of the freedom that God gives us. We have the choice to use our freedom in a way that produces good in our lives, or we can use that freedom in a way that, that produces junk in our lives. And we get stuck in these patterns, not able to get out of it. So, what we see here is that Christ's followers are free from being slaves to sin. Christ gives us power over the sin. So this explains what we're not supposed to do, right? We're not supposed to go back to our old patterns, to living life just selfishly and, and for ourselves and what we want. And that's typically what people, as they look on the outside of Christ followers, they, they think, oh, yeah, they just have all these rules and they, they can't do this. They, they can't do that. But that's not the freedom that Christ gives us. It's not just about what we can't do. The freedom that God gives us is what we can do, what we get to do. Christ followers are set free to serve one another through love. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
we just looked at freedom. Real freedom is not just doing whatever you want, whenever you want, because there's consequences when you, when you act. And the Bible is the guide for living in a way that doesn't enslave us to dealing with these consequences of our actions, but it frees us from them. Because if we operate in line with the way that God has made life to work, it goes better for us. And this freedom is meant to be used to serve one another in love. That's what it says here in Galatians 5, 13, and 14. The typical American understanding of love is very vague. Love is something you feel you can fall in and out of love. There's marketing campaigns like this. Love is love. Love, love is just this squishy definition. Love is not any definition that we give to it. That is not what the love of the Bible is. Love is very specific in the Bible. And when we use our freedom to love like it talks about, the lives of the people around us are blessed. Our lives are blessed. Our relationships are clear and blessed. What is this love? That it's talking about. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word for love here is agape, which means acts in the best interest of someone before God. True love that lasts acts in the best interests of those around them before God. It's not just caving into whatever people think is their best interest, but it's the best interest of someone in line with the Bible and the way that the Bible says for us to relate. My family this last week, and, and longer, but specifically this last week, has really been loved by our church like it talks about here. My wife has been pretty sick for the last three weeks. She has an autoimmune disease and it's gotten to the point you know, last week where she just she was resting all the time she needed to so that she could try to get better. And I was looking at the next couple of weeks and just I, I had no idea how I was going to be able to get all my work done, to be able to take care of the family, take care of Gina. There was a lot coming up that needed to be dealt with. And I, I didn't know what how it was going to all happen. The Bible talks about situations like this. It's clear in the Bible that we, we carry our own burdens, um, but there are points where we, we need to step in and help each other. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, last Saturday, a friend from church texted me and said, hey, I, I hear Gina's down. It, are, do you need help? And I said, yes. Yes, I, we do need help. And so last Saturday, she started coordinating for the kids to be watched from nine to five each day and people to bring meals. And they didn't just coordinate it in a way to, to get it done. They, they created a friends camp week for my kids. They went to the pool. They went to the movies, the splash pad. Uh, it can be concerning when your mom is sick and they get something to look forward to in a week where she's just at home resting. And they had a great week. They loved like it talks about in the Bible. They acted in the best interests of our family before God. 
I don't think anybody thought, hey, I'm just going to add in four kids to our family for the day. I don't think they thought, hey, that sounds like a, a fun day. <laughs> but they did it. They acted in line with the best interests of our family before God. And, and we're grateful for it. Our family was blessed. And the thing is that their families will be blessed by that as well because that is how God has wired life to work. As we love each other, our needs are taken care of, and life is sweeter when you have this group of people that you're doing life with to help you in times of trouble, to celebrate in times of gladness. So we're here on July 4th, and we're looking at freedom, and we're looking at freedom that God gives us is to free us up to love the people around us. So what does that look like for us politically? What does it look like for us as citizens of America to love our neighbor as ourself? Like it talks about Galatians 5.14. Well, what we've seen so far in this message is that as we put into practice the Bible, we're blessed. As we live life God's way, people are blessed. And so we want to vote in line with the Bible to to help our neighbors be blessed by the principles, by the truths that are found in the Bible. One example of, of how to look at this, how do we love our neighbors by voting in line with the Bible, is on the, the issue of poverty. Things like poverty are very important. It's it's a high priority for God. There's verses all over the Bible talking about taking care of the needy, the poor, the widows, the orphans, the, the oppressed. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever opposes a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Helping the, the poor, helping those in poverty, it's a complex issue, but it's one that is a high priority to God, and it should be a high priority to his people. And so what what does it mean? How do we love our neighbor when we vote on issues and, and policies and for politicians that are going to be trying to solve this problem in our country? Well, it's interesting that as you dig into poverty, what helps people out of poverty is not Government handouts, like it's so common to hear. What helps is there's three factors that influence somebody leading their family out of poverty more than any other factors. And both the liberal side and the conservative side agree on these three factors. The three factors are you graduate high school, get married before you start having kids, And then you get a full-time job. What is so interesting about these things is that it's all biblical principles. Could have saved the Brookings Institute a lot of time and research if they would have pulled these principles out of the Bible. Because we see these things like in Exodus 20.14, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, don't have sex outside of marriage, don't have kids outside of of marriage. The Bible tells us to do that, and it turns out that that is one of the most contributing factors to pulling yourself out of poverty. 
The Bible also talks about having a really good work ethic. Proverbs 10.4 says a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, the second half of it says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So we love our neighbors on issues of poverty by looking at the Bible and the truths that are found in there and how can we vote for policies and politicians in a way that they're going to support trying to help people to get jobs. They're going to support trying to, uh, they're going to support the structure of the family. That's what we look for as we're looking at on issues to, to vote on. Because we know that God's ways are going to produce a blessed life. John 13, 17 says this. It says, if you know these things, it's talking about God's ways. Blessed are you if you do them. There is blessing in doing the, the ways of God. The freedom Christ gives his followers, it's not meant to be used to go back to our old ways, to, to get stuck in patterns of sin. The freedom that Christ gives us is meant to be used to love those around us, to love our neighbor as ourself. And as we do that, people are blessed all around us. Our community is blessed. Our church is blessed. Let us be known as a church that loves one another and loves its neighbors. Now, each week we have next steps in our messages to encourage people to take a next step in response to the message. Here's a couple next steps you might want to take in response to the message today. The first one is I'm going to use my freedom to love someone by fill in the blank. How can you love someone this week? Has God shown you anything specific that you can do this week to love your neighbor as yourself or to have that agape love, to act in the best interest of someone before God? And then another next step is we have a God and government class that is starting next week. And this course is a tremendous help to understanding what is our political stewardship. How do we um, live in, in line in a way that blesses our, our community? There's, there's topics in this course like human nature, stewardships and rights, the God-ordained purposes of government, when Christians are justified in disobeying the government, um, how to find truth in the age of misinformation, and how to exercise our Christian political stewardship. This course was a big help to me. I hope that you consider doing it. You can sign up on the connection card to um, let us know if you're interested in it, and you can get more information about it. It's an eight-week course. Um, there's a, about two hours of homework every um, two weeks. So there's two weeks of homework, and then you have a uh, Zoom class to, to be involved in, Zoom discussion. Starts January 11th. Um, and the first Zoom is on the 25th, and then you can see the schedule on the screen here. It just follows every two weeks after that. I hope you consider being a part of that. God has blessed us by allowing us to live in this, this country at this time, and we want to be the best citizens that we can. We want to use our freedom to love each other, and to love our neighbors. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you allow us to have the freedom to worship you freely. 
And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to use our freedom to love well this week, to, to act in the best interest of those around us before you this week. Help us, Lord, to be a blessing to the relationships we're close to and our neighbors. And I just pray that you'd help us each to take a next step in response to, to your word, the Bible, today. We thank you so much. Um, just for the opportunity to worship you, and I just pray that you'd help us all to have a good week. In Jesus' name, amen.